Hello, beloved children of God. I'm Grace Seaman, and you're listening to Catholic in College, a podcast to encourage college students that we're not alone in practicing our faith, even in the midst of a secular college culture. Today, I'm speaking with Jean Timmerman, and we're going to talk about how to raise a family in the faith. Jean, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. I'm so glad you're here. So this episode is coming after um, the past couple. We talked about discerning religious life, discerning marriage. And so I just wanted to give students like a picture of the next step, like Mm -hmm. what it's like to raise a family Uh and raising a family in this crazy world and preserving the faith and like passing that on to our children. So I know I have a lot of desires and fears like related to parenthood Mm -hmm. and just like this idea of it, like I want to do this as a parent. I want to avoid this. Uh, what were some of those hopes or fears that mm-hmm. you had going into motherhood? Um, I think that I did not have hopes and fears. <laughs> that really? might sound weird, but I mean, I was 29, just turned 29 when I got married. And I my, I have seven siblings. My husband has 13 siblings. And um, we had tons of nieces and nephews running around. I'd been holding babies and doing that kind of thing. Um, since my first niece was born when I was like 15 or something. Um, and I don't think it was until, uh, our oldest child turned seven and we were preparing him for first penance and first communion. And I was like, whoa, this kid can sin, (laughs) you know? And so, and I'm the one who's supposed to teach him, um, a, a love for God and a desire not to. And what do you do when you do sin? Um, this, you know, the, we have this. I mean, when when we first brought our child to baptism, you know, there there's a sense of awe, but there's also a, an understanding of he's perfect right now. I mean, he's got he's been baptized and his soul is so beautiful, you know. But now all of a sudden, um, this is real. So I think that I don't. I, and and by nature, I'm not a. I mean, I, I I'm I'm not a, the kind of person who who who. Um, I don't know. I, I I do have anxieties and things like that, but I just I don't think that that's in my nature, and especially at that time in my life, I just was excited. I, we were so much in love, and we very much were on the same page of life, faith, and parenting. And even though we're very different people, um, I, I just felt confident that our, you know, parenting was going to work. And it does. I mean, we're not perfect at all, but, but personality-wise, we don't have, um, you know, we don't have uh, fights or uh, arguments or disagreements about about how to parent. Mm. That's that's so interesting, just because I think of your family as like, this is all very organized and like there's a definite plan here. <laughs> oh, You're just no. like, no, we just, yeah, we just figured it out. Well, I, I think that you you are who you are. I mean, that's in, in you, yeah. Uh, and it's not to say that I didn't have ideas about what I was going to do, but I think also, I mean, I was, I was a teacher and I was teaching preschool before we got married. I mean, I definitely had ideas about what I wanted to do. I just was so excited to do it. It was just like, give me these kids and get them. I mean, they, especially my older ones, um, you know, I got my teaching fixed through them. And so every feast day was like, oh, we're having a St. Michael's Day party because <laughs> it's St. Michael's. And I've got the book and I've got the activity, and, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, that kind of thing. But um, and, and even when it comes to things like once they get to be in middle school and high school, I, to me, you can't, you can't anticipate the culture, you can't anticipate the child, and you can't anticipate the, um, the situations you're going to be in. So um, 
just wait to get there and then do it when it's time. Right. Just take it one step at a time. So maybe when you, I think on the retreat that Annie had Mm -hmm. in like last January, I think you talked to, maybe you didn't, but I remember you talking about like the idea that you had to be a super mom or maybe that was something Annie shared with me Mm -hmm. um, just to like have to have it all together. So yeah, tell me your experience with this idea that like have to be the perfect parent. Um, I honestly, I, I don't think that I, um, I feel that, and and part of this is you have to realize that I'm, you know, we're married 25 years. So 25 years ago, I might've felt that I just don't remember. Um, but because I think that I so much know that I cannot be that, um, there's definitely, you know, especially, you know, that first kid is God knows who to give you when he gives you and all that. So, you know, if you're a first child and your parents screwed up, you know, then that was God knew that was going to happen. <laughs> um, or, I mean, there, there's so, um, I don't think that parents, the, the only, um, the only mistakes we can make as parents is not bringing God into the equation because we are going to do things that are not the best thing for our kids, even though we mean for it to be, um, and so I think that that you, uh, when we worry about perfection, then we're worrying about us doing the right thing. And we have to have a super strong sense of and belief that, that God is the one who's doing it. And anything that I did right, if I think that I did it right because I did, I made the right choices. I mean, th- th- it's not to say that we don't have to think about what we're, do- what we're doing and be purposeful about it, because we do. When we worry about perfection, I think that in anything, it's because we think that we have control over doing it right. And um, especially with parenting, and for that matter, with being a good spouse, it's not about me being in control of that perfection. It's about giving it over to God. And in as much as I don't give it over to God and I try to take control, that's where that's where the mistake is made. See, I always think of us as like very similar. Like I think if I was... If I'm going to be a mom, I'll be like Jean Timmerman. Mm-hmm. But it seems like you don't have the same control issues like I do. Or maybe you've learned by this point that like you're I think not that that's a big piece of it, Grace, is that that you I in fact I was reading, I think it was last week in in this book by Hubert von Zeller, and he's it's a it's a He's, it's a chapter about patience, and I'm just like, oh, patience. <laughs> but he's his first line is, um, patience and passion have the same derivation. And I was just like, whoa, that's, I've never thought of that. But, and then he goes into talking about patience being so, um, so tied up with humility. And not that I have learned humility, like I'm some kind of perfect, per, you know, that I know how to be humble in a perfect way or anything. But if anything, if parenting has taught me anything, it is humility. And I, you know, definitely I have so much learned that I do not have control. So much, I do not have control. So the only thing to to stay sane, you have to give that control over. Um, At least for me, and that's, that is the difference is that I'm 25 years past where you are, you know, and Mm -hmm. And, and, and I think my mom used to always say, you know, God gives you one child at a time unless he gives you twins, which she did mm-hmm. end up having in the end. She used to tell people, oh, the people would say, it's a beautiful family. How do you do it? Like, God gives you one at a time. And then he gave her twins at the end. <laughs> but um, 
But he does give us, you know, we, we start with these little ones who are perfect after their baptism, and it's a little bit at a time, and then you, you get these little humiliations, and, you know, you eventually realize, I do not have control over this, and yeah. so, okay, God, I'm giving it to you, and it's, it's just, I don't know, I think that part of it is to do with um, age and uh, years of God-giving grace. Um, and, and as I look at, I mean, I'm raising an eight-year-old now, and how I parented um, my first when he was eight is very different, and, and life is very different. So, mm. you know, you will be amazing at the moment that you need to be amazing, and it won't be because you're in control, even though you might feel like you're in control. <laughs> and you are, you will be purposeful. Um, but anything that happens that is goodness in, in our parenting and in our marriage is because of God's grace, so... We can try to control as much as we want. <laughs> yeah. 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 I hope to get to that point where I'm like able to let go and understand that more fully. Um, I was talking to a new mom and she was saying it's it's all just about like being one step ahead of where mm-hmm. your kid is. Like mm-hmm. you don't need to worry about years ahead, just like being one step ahead. And education majors are all telling me the same thing. Like, I thought my teachers knew everything, but mm-hmm. it turns out you're just like learning <laughs> b- right before the kids do. Mm-hmm. And that amazes me. So let's talk about like bringing God into the equation. Like you mentioned, how do you go about like raising the family in the faith? You mentioned like the St. Michael's Day mm-hmm. celebrations and stuff. Um, but yeah, what are the ways that you try to pass on the faith to your kids? Well, I think this is a really interesting question because I, I mean, people have asked me this before, and and my usually my pat answer is, you know, you can go through the 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 church calendar, and you know, during Advent we have the Jesse tree, and every you know every night we talk um, about whatever the Jesse tree story is, and it's really fascinating how even as, as they're learning, you know, especially um, uh, co-parenting in a sense, I mean, with, with the school. I mean, that they are co-teaching, I guess is a better way to put that. They're not parenting, but they do um, such a beautiful job of, of bringing in things to each um, developmental level so that when we are talking about the Jesse tree and we're on Noah or something, and I, I remember being fascinated when my high school children were being like, oh, yeah, in, in theology we talked about this and and how – the entire family is a part of this conversation. Um, and then during Lent, we've started to do um, a, a map of Jerusalem on the wall. And then, so then we just talk about where, where was Jesus in the gospel today? Um, so things like that. I mean, that, and, and, and definitely, I am a big fan of, I just feel like celebration is a super important part of our, of our church life. And as just as people, we just need that. Even during Lent, it's just like, where are those <laughs> celebration days coming? Because I need this. Um, and then learning to, uh, to see these days of penance as celebration as well. Um, anyway, so there, there's, there's all these different ways that we teach the faith. Um, you know, so let's talk about, you know, the sacraments. Well, we, so we go, we always would go to confession the first weekend of the month, um, especially before the kids received first penance, then we went to confession and then we'd uh, ask the priest for a blessing. And then they, they were comfortable with confession. Now that everybody, we're just, we're, uh, the last one will receive first penance in a week. Um, 
And so she knows because it's often just my husband and I who go because the kids are going at school. And so we'll ask them, do you want to go with us? And but anyway, that's it's part of life, all these things. And I could go on and on. And I'm sure that I do different things that people don't do. And there's people that do do other things that we don't do. But I think the bigger piece of it, piece of it is that we, we teach them a knowledge of faith. Um, but uh, whether or not, how, how much our kids know about the faith is important. But the bigger piece is that they know how to live faith and that they understand um, faith is a choice in the same way that love is a choice. And so um, I think it's super important that it's not just that we model a relationship with Christ, but that we are actively teaching them that and talking to them about that. You know, when, when we make a visit um, to the Blessed Sacrament and, you know, talking about what what's going on in your heart and your head when that's happening. Um, and I think that that's, that's the harder piece because we can do everything right or feel like we're doing everything right. But in the end, um, faith is a choice and making kids aware of that this is a choice and then teaching them how to, how to make that choice. And and in the end, I guess the bigger piece of it is just the prayer um, so that they can learn that. But I I guess going back to the question is just that we teach them what we believe is the faith and then we, um, teach them how to make a choice of faith because in the end I can't give them the faith. They have to accept it. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. Specifically with prayer, um, what does your prayer life look like in terms of praying with your kids and like the whole family, praying just with your husband and then making time for prayer by yourself? Mm -hmm. What does that look like? Um, and that it's funny because every single one of these questions, it, it could be, you know, if you would ask me five years ago or not five days ago, but definitely as, as the family changes, as, um, as we age and, and, you know, activities and things change. Um, but I think that a constant, a couple of constants are, um, my morning offering. So we don't get up at the same time, my husband and I, um, and my morning offering happens by myself then, uh, and his happens by his self, himself, um, we, obviously prayer before meals is something that, that we definitely do. And we, we made a family consecration at one point. I don't remember when. And then at the end of the consecration, you do something that you, you know, it's a gift to Mary kind of a thing. And, um, and we started praying the Angelus before, um, uh, before meals. Um, and so that's, uh, that's something, a part of who we are as a family. Um, but before we got married, my husband and I always prayed um, the prayer to St. Michael at the uh, Hour of Mercy. And so we, so as we, were, we didn't live in the same city when we were dating. And so we always knew that we were praying together at the same time when we were dating because we prayed at 3 o'clock. And we continue to do that. And we both have um, watches that beep at 3 o'clock. And so if I'm teaching at 3 o'clock, my kids know, my students know, we stop and we pray the prayer to St. Michael. And our kids do that. And things like when we drive past the cemetery, then we pray the um, May the Souls of the Faithful Departed and then a Hail Mary. Um, You know, of course, we teach them night prayers. Um, We make visits as a family. Uh, You know, during Advent and Lent, we pray the rosary every day. We don't do that every day of the year, but we do it during Advent and Lent. Um, And then we have done Lexio Divina. We, you know, things we we do, uh, (laughs) we do Lenten and Advent act. 
a penance prayer and almsgiving as a family and then teach the kids that we talk about, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that are prayer that we do. Um, and, um, so I just, I was going to say this slipped my mind. I don't know what it was, but anyway, um, so that's, I mean, there's lots of family things that mm-hmm. we do. I, I even, whenever I, I, I get asked these kind of questions, I leave and then I was like, oh, actually we do that too. But you know, the things that we do, I think, are, again, it kind of goes back to that fa- faith question too, is super important that we're doing these things. But the bigger question is, do they know how to pray? Um, and then personally, I do, I go to daily mass, um, I go to daily mass five days a week and then, you know, so, and then I'm holy hour and uh, daily rosary and, um, you know, things like that, that, and then, but at night my, is when my husband and I pray. Um, and that will change throughout, you know, just depending on the season, exactly what we're doing. Uh, but we always make an act of contrition together and then we pray our vows, um, every night. And then we pray, a um, pray to St. Padre Pio, uh, who has been important in our, um, in our, in our, I think relationship, I guess is the best way to, to put that. But, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. There's, there's little boxes you can check, but I think the bigger thing is, are you, how are you praying, um, as a couple? I mean, how are you, how, how, I guess prayer is a relationship with, with God. And how is, how is your relationship with God and your spouse? How is that a threesome? Um, how is your relationship and your family, you know, how is that a, a group thing? And, and just me and God, how is that a relationship is mm-hmm. the, is the thing that you really have to ask yourself. I have this fear that because I just, I hear so many moms talk and, um, like their prayer life looks very different from that of a college student who has time to, if they wanted make a holy hour mm-hmm. every single day, mm-hmm. um, yeah, just the fear that if I become a wife and a mother, I will no longer have time for a relationship or like it won't be as deep of a relationship with Jesus. Uh, what has your experience been with that? How are you still like a wife and a mother and living that vocation while also being in deep relationship with the Lord? Well, I think that your your relationship with um, your parents is going to change when, if you know, assuming that you get married. Um, but that's not going to, you're still going to have a deep relationship and connection with them. Um, and your relationship with God will change, um, how it looks like because yeah, it, it, it will change in some ways, but you're not going to not have that deep relationship. And so, um, how and when you get to specifically be with him in the Eucharist, you know, I, for Eucharistic adoration, that will change. Um, but you will find that as you are deeper and deeper into vocation and into saying yes to him, um, that so is your relationship. And it's very much that, um, you're, or I, I, I just think that, the, the, that if we are in the, if we're in vocation, um, and saying yes to him, then that is relationship right there. And it's, you definitely, you know, so I was in the convent for four years and um, had this protected prayer life that was, and I wasn't on mission yet. So, I mean, the mission sisters have, I don't even know what that looks like because I w- didn't teach. But, um, you know, I it was, it was, that was the one thing that when I left, and I still had the, the still freedom of time, 
Uh, but but it wasn't my still my prayer life was not as protected and that's what I, I really worried about and then going into motherhood the same kind of thing but you just find that you when you're in relationship with a person um, your face time with them is going to be different but it doesn't change the relationship so it's not you're still you're not gonna be able, you're not gonna be able to control it I guess mm-hmm. <laughs> and you and you have to be okay with that and right. and you have to accept that and you have to you really do have to have a faith that okay cl- cleaning up this puke is an encounter with Christ I mean that's that's real and it really is because it, it is it is the the Saint Veronica and the Saint Simon that um, it's it's ugly um, it looks ugly but but the relationship is there. Mm-hmm. Even though you're not, I mean, you're not. I'm not thinking at the time that I'm cleaning up the child's puke that this is something. Really, I this is a connection with Christ. But I'm doing it because I'm where I'm supposed to be. That it can be raised to that. Yeah, I think when you said that your relationship with your parents is going to change, I mm-hmm. think that's a really good. That's a really good analogy. I suppose that's definitely brings comfort that like you can still have that relationship is just going to look different. So you talked about um, like the prayers and the specific things that you do with your family. And mm-hmm. that might look different than what everybody else is doing. Mm-hmm. I don't know if comparison has ever been a struggle for you, maybe at the beginning, but how do you go about discerning, not even just in terms of like the faith life, but any big decision, how do you discern what's best for your family without letting like all the, I mean, nowadays it's social media, but at the time it's like all these parenting books. So yeah. How do you discern that for yourself? Um, I, I think that it's, I mean, if there is an app, if there's something that's definitely like a discernment question, then obviously there's prayer and there's discussion with, you know, with your spouse um, about what's best, and there's discussion with other parents that you respect, or my parents, or you know, I, you look at those good resources. I mean, that's for something that's, that is discernment material, I guess. Um, but what is more often um, the experience is um, is something. I, I guess that I have a really strong um, idea of what what who I am, what I'm about, and what I believe. So, um, for instance, after the, the most recent, um, high school dance, my daughter wanted to, everybody was staying the night at somebody's house and the girls were going to stay at this one place and the boys were going to stay at this other place that are right next door to each other. And it was just like, no, I mean, it was not even a hard question. Um, and I mean, the truth was that everybody else was allowed to, why can't I, um, and I mean, that's. There's there's definitely comparison there, but for those kinds of things where you have, I mean, even when she came and asked me, she had a smirk on her face, like I I know you're gonna say no, but I have to at least try. Mm-hmm. Um, it's I don't know, I I just feel like those there's not I haven't experienced much of of a gray area of hmm should we let you do this or not or. Um, everybody else is letting their kids have their cell phone when they're in eighth grade and no, we're not. And in fact, right now still, so I've had kids go through high school who have cell phones because they needed it. Uh, they, I mean, they re- actually needed it for school until we got one-to-one iPads. Um, so now I have, uh, somebody who's going to be a freshman next year and she doesn't need a phone. And 
right now she doesn't want a phone, which is great. Um, mm-hmm. But I have <clears throat> where I, you know, we did discern to give them phones. Now it's, it's I don't need, it's not even a question. It's not even a hard question because now we've seen what, um, yeah, how, how, what, what do you really need the phone for kind of a question. Anyway, I mean, I don't know if that's answering your question or not, but I, I think that the big, the big things, you know, we pray and discuss and ask people's opinions and that kind of a thing, and then you make the decision. Um, but things like that have to do with the culture and the culture just being so screwed up, it's, those kind of questions are actually easier than you might think because they're getting to be so black and white. Mm. I remember, I feel like I just want to give a shout out. I think this was really good, really good parenting move. And I hope you're okay with me sharing. I just like, I'm close uh, with Annie. So uh-huh, I hear yeah, about yeah, you yeah. guys. Um, one of your daughters wanted to get social media mm-hmm. and you were like, okay, how about you write a paper and you list off the reasons why this would be good for you Mm -hmm. and um, how you would would avoid falling into whatever. Mm -hmm. And yeah, by the time she did that, she realized, actually, you know, I don't want this. Yeah, it was, it was Snapchat and she, um, she hit her basketball team was using it for communication. She's like, mom, I kind of need this for communication. And so we, so that's why we thought, well, we can consider this and, um, and we, I said, but I don't want to do all the research on how I can police it because I, whatever it is, I'm going to have to be able to, to know what's going on with it. So you do that research and you give me the pros and the cons. You give me the reasons why we should and the reason why we should. And, and then you go take it to Jesus and you pray about it. And, um, and, uh, and I said, and you, you set up the time when we're going to talk about it. I'm not going to talk to you about it. I'm like, you decide all this. And then she, um, we never had the conversation because she just said, Mom, just about Snapchat, I don't think that I want to get it. She said, I, I know that I'm going to want it, but I want to make the decision not to. So it, and, and she does not regret the decision. And none of her kids have had um, Snapchat or, I mean, they do, ha- yeah, it's, and they, it's funny because they do come back to you and say, that was hard when you said no to that, but I'm so glad that you did. This is another thing I wanted to talk about is like discipline and um, learning to, yeah, I guess, um, perhaps when they're younger, it's more of a hands-on, like, Mm -hmm. I, I have to prevent this, but as they get older, learning to let go and maybe suffer the consequences, but still make the decision on their own. Mm -hmm. So yeah, tell me about how you go, go about discipline or allowing kids to, make mistakes and like how do they learn oh that's that's a great question and actually when um when even in my in my younger years when you're talking about being controlling and being I I think it's not so much being controlling I don't think that you want to be controlling either but it's being purposeful and proactive about what you're doing I definitely had a sense of um you know life is a choice everything is a choice and we and and we have to teach our children how to make choices and in fact, I mean, the first um, sin, it was, it was because God gave Adam and Eve a choice. And I love every year when kids are getting into first and second grade and they are really coming to an understanding of Adam and Eve. And they're like, if Adam and why did God let them do that? Because if they didn't do that, we wouldn't have to be in school and we wouldn't, you know, we wouldn't get sick and all <laughs> these things that they, you know, they come to a realization of. But it's so 
but then they do. They at a very young age can understand if there's not a choice to say no, then your yes doesn't mean anything. If God would have forced Adam and Eve to say yes, and said, and then you know the the bottom line is, well, if you were Eve, you probably would have done it too. I mean, you we, we right now, you know, we don't have the the same um, <clears throat> preternatural gifts, but um, we still would, you know, these we we make plenty of choices that you know that are not great that I think that at least for me I probably would have ended up trying to trying the fruit you know but anyway um I think that with teaching kids um how to make choices you have to allow them to make choices and so from a very young age you know saying um giving them the choice of hey uh, do you want this fruit or that fruit for lunch and that's easy but um because because there's opinion there, you know that you know, or but even something like um, getting dressed when they're four and they're not matching, and just being okay, like yeah, that's fine, that's your choice. Um, <laughs> now it makes so much sense when I look back at these family photos. I'm like, why would you let me wear that hot pink yeah, shirt absolutely. with these orange shorts? Oh, you were letting me choose. Okay. Honestly, a hundred percent. In fact, uh, uh, when I was in the convent, we watched these um, videos uh, psychology about Father Grishel, and Father Grishel was giving the the talks and. He was saying, um, and this is part of why, part of my parenting philosophy is because he was saying, let you, children have to make choices. Um, and then when they get older, you know, they'll, they'll be, mom, I'm not sure if, you know, so-and-so wants me to go over to their house, but I don't know if I really, I don't feel like going, what should I do? And well, um, you don't have to go. You can make the choice not to, that's okay. Um, but then they also have to think about, um, this person actually doesn't have a lot of friends. Maybe you should make the choice to go because they need a friend. Or um, this person has been bullying me, not very kind to me. That's why I don't want to go. Okay, that's fine. You should also communicate to them um, that that they're you know. So so we're as they get older, then their choices are you're bringing into into the choice. Why are you making this choice, and what is the best choice? And it might be that you don't want to make this choice, that you're, you're, you're choosing the thing that you don't want because you think it's better for you. Um, so then I think also when it gets down to, uh, well, everybody spend the night at this person's house, um, I can say, this is something I am making the choice for you because I have to make choices too. I am re- you, you were responsible for the choices that we make and I will be accountable to God someday of him saying, okay, why did you allow, I mean, he was not going to, I don't, I don't know, maybe he will go to every single thing that we do or don't do that was a good choice or bad choice. I have no idea. But I do know that there are certain choices where I could feel a, I feel a parental responsibility to say no to this, or even with phones or social media or whatever it is. Um, yeah, I, I, my, I have, often been told, mom, you know, you're the strictest parent, right? I was like, yeah, I do not care. I mean, I, it doesn't, I don't care. I don't care. I, in, in the sense that I don't have, um, accountability, responsibility, or control over any other parent. I only know that I have accountability. I have responsibility and I have control over you for a time for a reason. So, um, my, my salvation is at stake as much here as yours. So, you know, um, not that I earn my salvation by the choices that I make, but um, yeah, there, there's relationship there. And in a sense, it's also, you know, you think of if your parents give you a gift that is, you know, I'm going to give you the gift of a car. This is, this is something big. You need to, you know, you can't, you don't just take that car and do whatever you want to with it, you know, and God gives us something that's so much huger than that. 
um, of the gift of these children. And he doesn't give them to us for our own, oh, this is fun, this is, they're cute, they're fun. Uh, it's, I love the, my relationship with them. I can take all the things that I love about my kids, but um, God doesn't give them to us simply because they are amazing. Um, there is a, you know, they, we have a goal and a purpose in mind and, and I'm accountable to, to that goal and purpose. Yeah. I just wanted to share a quote from this book I read called Boundaries. And I think they have specific books for like boundaries in marriage and boundaries and other stuff, mm-hmm. but I just read the, mm-hmm. the general boundaries book. Um, and I highly recommend it, but it says, while a major responsibility of good parents is certainly to control and protect, they must make room for their children to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like where you come into play as a parent is like, okay, if they make this mistake, like it could be dangerous to them. Mm-hmm. Right. So right. learning that balance is important. Um, let's talk about white martyrdom okay um and making those like everyday sacrifices what does that and may i guess maybe explain what white martyrdom Mm -hmm. is if people don't know um so my understanding of white martyrdom is that you that you know that a a red martyrdom would be somebody who dies for for love of christ um in a physical way and um and then uh that white martyrdom would be dying to self for Christ, um, so it's it's that death, it, and and it is it is sanctification by death, either way, um, and certainly in in any vocation, you know that 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 white martyrdom is its sanctification uh, by by death to self, um, and so certainly in parenting there is there is so much of that, and you could look at it at at daily little sacrifices, um, you know the the of doing things with love, you know, the, the, the Therese doing little small things with great love. And I, I, that's, that's the way I look at that, um, with daily sacrifices. Um, but I think that in addition to that, the white martyrdom of, of parenthood is, um, maybe that, maybe that kind of brings it full circle of the humility of saying of death to self and saying, this is not, this is your job through me, which means it doesn't mean that I don't do anything. It means I definitely am doing things, but I'm doing things in your name. I'm doing things with your hands and with your eyes and with your words. Um, and so that that's, um, and that can be hard because that means um, when I am ticked off because, you know, this child did this or that, you know, it might be in my, my body might want to yell and might want to be, uh, you know, angry or whatever. But my heart has to be the heart of Christ, and I have to die to self and say, "No, this is this. How does how does God forgive? How does God look at you as a child? And how does God treat how does God treat me when I um, sin or fail, um, and then respond that way?" Um, and I mean, there's there's definitely there's also the, the the aspect of taking the little mundane things and. And doing them with great love, which is part of white martyrdom. But I think that it's that when when you put martyrdom in the context of um, it's a death of some kind, and that death has to be um, the part of me that is not God's intent, and that would be my impatience or my selfishness or um, my pride or my pettiness, all those kinds of things. And it's giving up those things so that there's room for God to be 
um, for people to see God in me, to feel God in me, to hear God through me. Mm-hmm. Of course, we're supposed to do that like in every stage mm-hmm. of life. But I think it is the most evident when it comes to parenthood that mm-hmm. we are like, that you are an image of God for your children. Mm-hmm. And I've been thinking about this and like, I could, I'm like in the next couple of years, like it could happen. I could mm-hmm. already be there. I'm like, yep. feels like the daughterhood part of my life was so short and it's like, could switch over into motherhood really quickly. But even in the, in motherhood, you're still like a daughter of yep, God. Absolutely. And you're still a daughter of your parents. You, you, you will, you always be Brad and Carrie's daughter. Um, and I, I think that the, that's one of the, uh, to me, when I've written to my parents, you know, um, heartfelt letters at, you know, Mother's Day or their anniversary or whatever, the thing that always comes to me is, wow, I, as a daughter, I become a different daughter when I'm a mother who has a daughter. And how much I love this little person or this big person who always will feel little to me, <laughs> um, how much I love this person and I recognize I always knew you loved me so much, but wow. And then you take it that next step of the father and his love for us. And you really can just meditate on as a mother, then um, the gift of your parents and the gift of even bigger, um, the parenthood of God. Um, Just it's, it is, can be mind blowing. Mm. What have you found to be the biggest challenge in parenting? Um, I th- I think that it just is just that question I've been asked before, and I never know how to answer it because it just depends on on the kid and the 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 time of day and the time of year and the time in life. Um, if I had to put it in a general thing, I think it would go back to letting your kids fail. I think that's a hard thing. Sometimes it is following through with discipline. I had a kid who, um, they the two of them would drive to high school together, and my son was always late, and and Annie would be like, you know, she'd be the one who was always waiting for him. And so finally I was like, if you're not ready by a certain period of time, then she's going to drive by herself because she can drive. And the day that that happened when I had to follow through, it was raining, and I did. I still remember him dry, riding off on this bicycle with this huge backpack on his back, and just thinking, "I hate having to do this, but I have to follow through." And I mean, it never happened again, honestly. Mm-hmm. So, but um, or uh, I had when Michael and Annie were little, and we were in Omaha, and we were at a, a daily mass, and I think can't remember, can't remember which one was being obnoxious, but I left church and I was like no we're not doing this we're going home and you're going to have a discipline at home and never happened again same thing with the grocery store one time but anyway sorry how old were they then this was um, back in Omaha yeah or okay it was in Omaha so my guess is that they were two and three maybe yeah old enough that they understood Mm -hmm. (laughs) there was uh one time that and this was not a hard discipline but um Annie was probably, she was definitely over a year, and we were at the Stations of the Cross, you know, in church, and she was starting to get loud, so I was taking her to the back, and she started saying, yay, 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 yay. I was like, (laughs) oh, she has me figured out. So then she went to the back, and she had a timeout, so, (laughs) and yeah. um, I'm so glad you're on, and you can share all these stories about Annie. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure she's glad, too. Yeah. 
Uh, to close us out, mm-hmm. would you... So there's this quote um, from Zelie Martin, who is St. Therese's mother. Mm-hmm. Um, I've mentioned before on the podcast, but I'm reading this book called Family of Saints. It's about Louis and Zelie and them raising Therese mm-hmm. and like all of her sisters. Um, and there's a quote from Zelie that says, For me, our children were a great compensation. So I wanted to have a lot of them in order to raise them to mm-hmm. heaven. And I just think that's yeah, so beautiful. beautiful. Um, so how have your children been a blessing and brought joy amidst suffering? Uh, <laughs> by God's grace, the, the joy is so much bigger than the suffering. And I can't even say that children really have caused us suffering. You know what I mean? But definitely um, th- in whatever stage they are, they bring that perspective so Cecilia, as you know, an eight-year-old, just brings that that utter joy and delight with life, you know. Um, but even but as each of their um, different ages, they they bring an insight um, and a connection to God and an, and a, an expression of God that is new and um, and it is in fact when you talk about your your relationship with God changing, you have all of a sudden these. I have seven other avenues plus my husband and perceptions and perspectives and, and experiences of God, this new windows into him, which deepens your relationship. And I think that that's, that is just, I mean, I, it's, it is so common just after dinner for me to just be relishing the joy of our conversation with, and the gift that they are. It is, it is, um, there's just not words for it, for the, the joy. And, And it's one of those joys that's not, um, you know, it's not a it's not a temporal type of joy. It is a an experiential um, joy of person, and I think that that is kind of a glimpse of heaven. That that's what that's what heaven's going to be, where we're in communion with all these people that we love, and and on earth they help us to glimpse and experience God, and in heaven it will be um, it will be God Himself. Do you have any final thoughts that you wanted to share before we? And? Uh, no, I, I, I guess whenever people ask me what advice do you give to new parents, I always just say that to number one, know that you're not the one doing it. Um, but then number two, get you get as much advice as you can from people that you respect. Um, you read. I mean, that's a, as much as you want to. And um, But then know that God gave you these little people because he knew that you could do it with love. And so just do it with love and, and trust that, um, you know, these people, uh, because he gave them to you. They're part of who, part of who you are. Would you like to close this in a prayer? Sure. In the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Holy Spirit, come and be with us in this day, in this time. I want to ask you, please, to take these words of grace and myself and speak through us. Jesus, I pray. I love you. I adore you. I praise you. I bless you. I name you as my king. And in that naming, I give myself to you. 
Please take me, take all of those who hear this podcast, take grace, take us into your heart, embrace us, and we embrace you back. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Or in the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Jean, thank you so much for being with me today and for sharing about your family. Thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun. Thank you for listening to this episode. Make sure to follow Catholic in College on social media and subscribe to the podcast to get notified about new episodes. Finally, remember that you're never alone in your faith. Until next episode, let's all keep striving to be open, be present, and be loved.